Welcome to episode four of the Details of Life with Marcus Wilson. I am your host, Marcus Wilson, and I just got to thank you guys again because, man, we are doing so well with the podcast, and it's like uh, we already are up to almost 4,000 views in three episodes. I had no idea what to expect when we started this. You know, I, I was hoping for about 100 to maybe 250 listens per episode. So for us to be at like 4,000 in three episodes lets me know that, A, you guys are supporting and that's an awesome thing. And number two, that we have good content. So we're just going to keep doing this. You know, most of my views are on YouTube. It's more so on YouTube than any of the podcast platforms. Now, we still are on all the podcast platforms. So Apple, Google, Spotify, we're still out there. So for those of you who like podcasts, it's still there. But we're just going to keep doing this and keep getting better. And so speaking of getting better, you know, I want to preface a couple of things before we go into our next host. I mean, our next guest with uh, Tim Kane, assistant coach at Murray State. So. This episode was actually recorded December 21st. Um, I recorded three people that day, Tim Kane, Christian Lander, and another person who hasn't been released yet. But I did that because I knew that my January and February were going to be so hectic with travel and work that I wanted to get ahead of the game and get some episodes recorded. And so looking back now, this was my very first one that day. I mean, I did two more that day, but this was my very first one. So I can kind of tell I was a little nervous and, you know, because you know, even though I have been in media before, you know, you guys know I do color uh, color commentary for ESPN. So being in front of a camera doesn't really make me nervous. But this was my first podcast. And so I wanted to do well and everything. So I can kind of tell I was a little bit nervous. So you'll be able to notice that, I think, a little bit. But I can see the growth. I can see how much better I've gotten since then. And so that's that, that's a good thing. So um, another thing I really noticed is uh, something I couldn't help was so Murray State was playing the Aces that night and I was doing calling the game. And so. I met the coaching staff. They were at the hotel. We recorded this at the hotel. And um, I walk into the room and meet all the coaches, and they left, and me and Tim started our interview. And uh, after that, the, the ladies from the hotel start coming in and kind of cleaning up some of the things that the coaches and the team had left behind. So just to let you know, there's a couple old ladies walking around in the background while we're recording this, and hey, it is what it is. I can't edit that part out. Um, another thing that I noticed is my weight. I mean – some of you guys know, some of you don't, but I had back surgery about a year ago this time. I think it was February 22nd. And during that time, obviously, I was out of commission. I couldn't walk for a little while, and I was out of work, uh, FMLA. And um, I gained about 40 pounds. I was eating chicken wings and eating burgers and not exercising. That stuff, obviously, is going to make you gain weight. And so uh, I, I didn't really start exercising again until about mid-November. So I've lost 40 pounds since mid-November. But when we did this episode on uh, December 21st, I had lost about 15, but I've lost about 25 since this episode. So you guys are going to notice the difference. I know I can, when you see me now and you see me then, you're going to see it in my face a little bit, which is, which is a good thing. At least, you know, you're making progress. I can actually see it. Um, and then lastly, um, you know, at the end of every episode, we do a Q and a of the details of life Q and a, and I do some rapid fire questions and we did that with Tim. And one of the questions that I asked him, uh, was if you wanted to start a basketball team, uh, who would your corner piece be, Tim Duncan or Kobe Bryant? And he answered Kobe Bryant. I'm giving that answer away right now. But the reason I tell you that is because obviously we did this December 21st. And so Kobe Bryant was still alive at the time. So he just said it very nonchalantly. So as you're listening to this episode and know, you know, when I was going over this, it hit me a lot harder hearing that answer, knowing that he's now passed away. And so we, you know, we didn't put much emphasis on that because he was still with us at the time. So just kind of wanted to let you know that's why that question kind of came and went without us putting more um, any any emphasis on it. But just want to let you guys know there's a couple things going into this episode. So with, enough with all the prefacing. Murray State Assistant Coach Tim Kane. 
All right, so my next guest here on the details of life with Marcus Wilson is Tim Kane. Tim is assistant coach at Murray State. Uh, I met him at the Final Four in Indianapolis in 2013. And I always tell people relationships is everything in life and especially in coaching. You never know when you'll run back into someone else. Uh, and when I met Tim in 2013, he was a really humble guy. He stood out to me. We stayed in touch. And so I uh, wanted to bring him here on the podcast and talk a little life, a little basketball. So how's things going, Tim? Things are going good, Marcus. Really appreciate you having me here. Uh, always remember that Final Four getting to meet you. Uh, as we talked about, you know, all roads lead through to Richie Shuler. You know, and you talk about relationships, and that's what kind of brought us together. Yep, yep. Richie Shuler is a former Evansville ace that played at Evansville with me, for, for some of you guys who don't know. So let's kind of start with the basics. Tim, where, where, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, uh, just outside Knoxville. And then, you know, my parents, they moved us down from New York, and both of my parents are from Long Island. So it's a little bit of a culture change for them. Okay. So, you know, with you being a coach now, I know people see you on the sidelines. We were talking about this before. People see you as a coach, and it looks all glamorous, and you guys are in the tournament. You've been winning a lot lately. But before, before we get into that, man, what was – Middle school, high school, Tim Kane. Like, I mean, were you the clown? Were you shy? Were you getting bullied? Were you the bully? Like, what, what were you like, man? Uh, I was definitely not shy. I got kicked out of a few classes for talking <laughs> too much in class. Uh, in my family, obviously, I just said I had two guys that were in the army, two brothers. Well, they were West Point guys as well. Okay. So great students. Uh, you know, I had to live in the shadow of my oldest brother. Teachers thought I was going to be just like him. He was the straight A student that did everything and. I was a good student, but not quite straight A, and I like to have a little more fun than him. Uh, I was a guy that loved sports. I mean, that was the biggest thing. I was either hooping or playing soccer or football or baseball. Okay. I was always trying to play sports. Okay. And so when did you know that you wanted to coach? When did you know that you were done playing, your careers was over with that, and that you wanted to kind of transition into being a coach? Yeah, you know, I always had a thought of being a coach. Uh, first, I always wanted to be a pro, like every kid like growing up that plays. Right, right. Uh, and then I started to realize when I got to college, I'll never forget, I worked Duke camp as a freshman in college. Nice. And I shook Elton Brand's hand, and his hand went almost to my elbow. <laughs> and I was like, Man, you know what? This probably isn't for me to be a pro because obviously he was a pro and yeah. a real pro. Yeah. Uh, and I would play with those guys at night. And I started to realize what I thought I was, I wasn't quite that good. So I, I knew that. I'd probably have to go into the coaching sooner than later. So when, when was this? This was You said this is when you were in college? Yeah, this was when I was in college. Uh, just after my freshman season, uh, I had played at Tennessee Martin and then transferred to Winthrop University and would work camp all summer at Duke. I'd work three to four weeks of their camp, men's and women's basketball camp. And that's really where I started to figure out that I wanted to be a coach and I needed to be a coach because I yeah. wasn't going to be playing much longer. Yeah, I remember running to some Duke guys when I was uh, in college and I went to work the five-star basketball camp yeah. with Howard Garfinkel. Uh, and they would tell me about, you know, the experiences with their camp. And I, I hear Duke, man, the, the guys come back and they play and the pickup games are awesome. Were you able to witness any of that? Yeah, I got to play in those at night. Oh, I don't nice. know why they had me in nice. there, but uh, I was just sitting in the corner catching shoot and I knew to pass the ball most of the time. They <laughs> <Right. laughs> tried to defensively just keep a guy in front of me. But uh, they do. They all come back. They all play. I mean, I remember when I was younger. Rodney Rogers from Wake Forest would yes. come over. Some of the North the Carolina original players. Zion Williams. Yeah, the original. Right? Yeah. He was a he was a yeah. grown man. And then, you know, some of the North Carolina guys, they weren't the current players in North Carolina, but guys that just graduated. Right. Or had been a few years out they were playing pro would actually come at night and play over there at Duke. Okay. Okay. So uh so getting into this coaching thing, like so like I said, you're at Murray State, which is a mid major powerhouse right now. No one wants to play you guys ever. Um 
But before you got here, kind of where all have you coached? What, what, what are some of the stops that you've been in along the way? Yeah, you know, I've been kind of all over the place in my coaching journey. I was a high school coach when I was finishing up my uh, degree. So okay. I coached ninth grade. I was the ninth grade head coach. So I got to be a head coach right away. Uh, not sure I was ready for that, but, you know, they put me in that as ninth grade head coach. And then I was helping out with the varsity and JV. Okay. And then after I graduated, I was a graduate assistant at Austin P State University. Uh, that's where I actually met Richie Schuler. We were graduate, gotcha. graduate assistants together. And then from there, uh, I went to Guilford College, Division Three in North Carolina that has had a great run under Coach Tom Palumbo, who I worked for his first year. Right. He's been to two Final Fours last year, was in the Elite Eight. Done a really good job there. Had two national players of the year. Nice. Uh, helped recruit one of them, and now he actually works for the Phoenix Suns as a okay. player development guy. Then I went on to Newberry College uh, for three years. Was an assistant there where I was also the head cross-country coach. And then I was baseball academic coordinator as well. And, I mean, I mopped floors while I was there. You kind of did everything at, yeah. you know, Division two, Division three level. Uh, and then I went on to Winthrop University, my alma mater, to be a director of basketball operations. Yep. And then from there, I went to Florida Atlantic University for six years and worked for Mike Jarvis and helped. In our third year, we ended up winning the regular season conference championship, which is the first and only they have in men's basketball right now. Nice. And then played in the postseason NIT there. And then from there, I went to uh, FAU. I went to Georgia Southern for one year. Okay. And then came here to uh, Murray State and been here. This is my fifth year now. Man, that's a journey. So for a lot of you guys that want to be coaches out there, can you tell me, like, what's the difference? And you mentioned it mopping the floors at some places, but uh, what's the difference? Like, what's the day-to-day -day life for a coach at a D2, D3, or if you're a grad assistant or Dobo versus now where you're assistant? Like, like what, what, are those, what do those days look like uh, starting somewhat at the bottom to where you're at now, that, where you have a little bit more flexibility, more funding and stuff to get around? Yeah, you know, starting at those levels, I wouldn't give it up for anything. Mm -hmm. I got to learn every and every aspect I mean, of the program from, like you said, mopping the floors yeah. to, you know, we don't have the money to get certain things, right. to driving vans, yep. to where I'm recruiting, I'm paying my own money to go recruiting, yeah. you know, whereas now I'm fortunate that, you know, the school covers that, yep. I don't have to deal with that, but, and I was the only assistant coach on staff. Well, we have three assistant coaches, a video coordinator and player development. Yeah. So here I have more freedom to do more coaching yeah. and to, with relationships with the guys, gotcha. but, but I will admit and I've always said this, when I was Division two, Division three, your relationships with the guys were almost sometimes better because you were helping them with their academics. And everything. You were doing everything for those. And you were yep. helping them get in admissions. Yep. And you were dealing with the parents with admissions, and they weren't for full scholarships. Yep. So you were making sure they had the money to pay it. You were, I mean, you knew everything and anything. That yep. Whereas the Division one level, I can say, hey, we're offering you a full scholarship. I don't talk to admissions. I'm not allowed to. Yep. I can't talk to professors. Where at the other schools, I was going and meeting with professors you know, going and talking to them, or they would come meet with me or call me and say, hey, he needs a little help. Yeah. Whereas now at this level, and it's probably changed a little even at the Division three and Division two level, right. from when I was there, that we can't speak with professors because of obviously people abused it back in the day exactly. and they don't want that happening anymore. So, I mean, you're going to learn everything and anything there is about a college program. And for me, you know, I'm 42 years old now. I feel like I have a better background on how to run the program and how I would want it run at the highest level and the yeah. lowest level. So one, one of the things he said, like talking to um, the professors, but for some of you guys out there, when you're the only coach, like for example, if Murray State's playing 30 games this year, most coaches, I don't know if this is how you guys do it, but the head coach at the beginning of the season will say, okay, 
this coach gets 10, this coach gets 10, this coach gets 10, and you have 10 different scouts. So after you play a game, you have probably a week to prepare for your next one. When you're the only coach, it's back to back to back to back to back scouts. Most teams have a few knuckleheads where you might need to go knock on their door, make sure they're going to eight o'clock class. When you're at Murray State or Duke, they might have a grad assistant to do that. When you're the only coach, you're the one doing that. And so people don't understand the grind that it takes to get it through there and have success there to even have the opportunity to be considered at a place like Murray State. So, man, that's why I love talking to coaches and stuff about about this. So uh, along the way, who's been like one of your biggest influences or, I mean, I'm sure you've been influenced by a lot. You've had yeah. a lot of good people you've learned under, but mm -hmm. who are some of the people that stand out to you in terms of who helped you? Um, what's some of your philosophies and how you yeah. coach and how you treat players? Who, who's really influenced you a lot? Yeah, you know, I have a lot of influences. I'm very fortunate. Obviously, you know, I've, I've worked for Mike Jarvis, who obviously has a great name right. in coaching and was a phenomenal coach. To all the coaches I worked for, Tom Palumbo, who I mentioned, who was my first full-time job. Uh, Dave Luce, who was at Austin P, who had an unbelievable yeah, career there. Yeah. And who was a guy who also taught me, he would he would mop the floors before practice. And I believe as a GA, I'd be like, Coach, I got it. He goes, no, no, I've got it. I'm going to do this. You know, just that humbleness that he's going to show the guys that he can also serve yeah. as well. Yeah. Really taught me a lot. And, you know, I think one of the most important things he taught me as a young graduate assistant was he was gone for a week recruiting in the fall. He comes back. The guys had like a mile test. We're on the track. And he just told the guys, yes, I've been on the road recruiting, trying to get you teammates so that we can be better in the future. But the most important recruits I have are you all. And he made a point to tell them that you are the most important recruits I have yeah. because you're on this team and you're part of this program. That's big time. Yeah, and that taught me a lot at a very young age. Yeah. And I just sat there and I was like, man, yeah. this guy's pretty good. And really learned a lot from him. And, you know, the last two coaches I've had are the two younger head coaches, and Mark Byington at Georgia Southern and Coach McMahon, who's mm -hmm. done a phenomenal job yeah. while he's been here at Murray State, who I grew up with. So it, it's, you know, he helps mentor me. And oh, so he you've been a, knowing him for years and years? I've known him since I was five years old. Oh, wow, that's cool. So we've got, I mean, we've got pictures on my birthday. We're, okay. we're together, like, blowing, I'm blowing out a candle. He's behind me, you know, a little 1980s <laughs> turtleneck and all that stuff. Right. But he, he's a really good coach. And even when we were playing together in high school and junior high uh, and before, you know, we went to separate places for college, he just had a maturity to him at a younger age mm -hmm. than I had at that time. <laughs> and, you know, like I said, I like that fun. He yeah. got in trouble sometimes. Yeah. Where uh, he just had a maturity to him that obviously has carried over as he's gotten older. And I've learned a ton from him as well. And, and a lot of it for him and Coach Byington that I've learned is the relationships with the players. Yeah. And now they do such a phenomenal job meeting with the guys, never thinking they're above the players that we're all in this together. Yeah. And I think that's the new generation, yep. obviously, is the players. And when I was playing, the coach could tell me what to do. I might not like it in my head, yeah. but I would never say a word. Right. But nowadays, kids, you know, they have a voice. Yep. And, and you have to give them their voice within reason, obviously. Right. Yeah, that's, that, that's a fine line of walking when even as parenting, but even in coaching, where you still want to be the authority figure, but you're not uh, – Dictarian yeah. doing so, and so these younger coaches, I feel like, have gotten a lot better at that. But man, I, I want to go back to what you said because I know I've, I've been around coaches, college, high school, whatever, where, and I've seen coaches where the current players, the head coach makes it feel like the next players are the ones that's always going to save the program, right? Like, especially if it, if it's, if you're a sophomore, you haven't played well. There were expectations. You're not playing as well as they thought you would. 
I mean, you pretty much feel like dead meat sometimes. And so, man, it's really awesome to hear that there's coaches out there that have influenced you and still, like, reinforce to the current players that you are my guys right now. You know, yes, I'm recruiting others, but you are my guys. So you guys out there listening, you, you should really take notes on that. Um, we're going to close up here in, in a little bit, but I think I would be remiss without bringing up uh, this incredible athlete, uh, John Moran. So you've been at Murray State. Uh, for four or five years, and they've had a history, and this is before you, but of producing NBA players, in particular at the point guard position. So Isaiah Cannon, Cameron Page, I mean Cameron Payne, and most recently John Morant. Why has that happened? And and I know some of it came before you, and you were just around John, but why has that happened? Is that your system? Is that great recruiting? Is that what's real allowed you guys to produce so many good, I mean, two first-round draft picks and a second-round draft pick at the point guard position? Yeah, you know, obviously recruiting has a part of it. Right. Uh, and, and evaluating talent and the staffs that did it before we got here, and obviously I feel like we've done a good job with that. I've yeah. seen where guys will be in the future. Yeah. I think too many people look at it of where is he now? Yep. And that's just society because yep. you're on your phone like where is it now? I want yep. it now. Well, Michael society right now. Yep. Whereas you can see, wow, this kid's special. You can see something in him. Yeah. And I think when young people see that you believe in him, they obviously start to believe in themselves yep. and they start to blossom. And I think a big thing is, and Coach McMahon has talked this from the day I got there, and I think our assistant coaches, Coach Long, Coach Nichols, do an unbelievable job, and, and our staff does, of helping develop guys mm-hmm. and living in the gym with them. You know, yeah. we're fortunate enough, we have the practice facility, we have the nice arena, we yeah. have all those things. So we really buy into developing young people as players and as people. And I, I think, you know, obviously, Jaws a special talent. Yeah. Uh, He's one of the best players in the world right now. And, you know, last year we were joking, you know, he was playing against, you know, Evansville or, you know, Spalding College he was playing against (laughs) last year. And now he's doing this stuff on LeBron James Kevin Love and all these guys that have been household names for a decade. And he's being successful against those guys. And a lot of it is, and people don't understand with him, yes, he's a great athlete. Obviously, he's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. His IQ on the basketball floor is unbelievable. I can see that. And and he sees the floor, and he plays the game. And, you know, the one thing is, you know, you always hear about these superstars and how they want things. that He wanted to be a part of the team, and he wanted to win. And that's what he's about. He's about winning and winning and winning. And that's a byproduct of his parents. You know, he's an unbelievable family that's done an unbelievable job raising him. Mm -hmm. And he says that all the time in interviews. But, I mean, it, it is true. Parents were the greatest on, you know, when he came. They said, hey, he's yours, guys. You know, just go coach him. Coach my son. We'll take care of him as the parents. And, you know, to have a kid like that that obviously has parents like that and as talented as he was is a blessing for him and obviously it was a blessing for us. And, and, you know, we've been very fortunate in the players that we've had. Jonathan Stark was player of the year year before him when he was a freshman. And both of them lived in the gym. You never had an issue. You never had a question about doing their schoolwork, Mm -hmm. nothing. The guys that are successful are the ones that have no issues. Yeah. They just do what they're supposed to do, and then they do it at a high, high level. Yep. And they're great people. So when you recruited Jai, like, what was his size? Or not when you when, when he came into mm-hmm. Murray State mm-hmm. or when you identified him, what was his size? I think we were talking about like, this earlier. I mean, 6'1", 6'2", 155 pounds. You know, he wasn't – obviously, he hadn't filled out yet. Yeah. But he had the frame. Yeah. But you could see his mental how – he saw the game and how he was still athletic, but he kept getting more athletic as obviously he grew into right. becoming a man. I mean, right. he's only 20 years old. He turned 20 in August. That's, that's unbelievable, man. So two things. So for you coaches out there, 
listen, <laughs> you found a guy that's 6'2", 155, and he was, what, the second pick in the NBA draft, and he's incredible. And then for you young guys out there who are listening, uh, man, keep working because he could have stopped working. He could have gave up. Uh, but obviously to come in at 6'2", 155, and to continue working in the weight room, in the gym, working hard, and now one of the best point guards, he's on Sports Center daily. So, man, just keep working with that. So, uh, lastly, man, let's just finish up with the team. What do you kind of like about this current Murray State team that you got? Yeah, you know, I really think our guys have bought in to just being a team. I think that's where we've been, we've been successful the last three seasons is that. The yeah. guys have bought in to, okay, this is my role. Yeah. And this is what I'm going to buy into doing it and yeah. doing it the best way I can. And I really feel like we've defended better. That's what's made us a better team so mm -hmm. far in the past couple weeks is defensively we really bought yeah. into defending. Well, yeah, yeah, you have to. I think when you lose such a talent, no one person is going to pick up that slack. It's a team thing. And I think, and I've watched you guys and you got some inside guys now that are really strong. And so I think that speaks to the talent of the players, but even more so the coaches that you can shift from being a, a guy, having a guy who was, what, 25 a game and 10 assists yeah. to now playing a little bit more inside and, you know, just tweaking parts of the offense to make sure that you're fitting the, uh, your personnel. So we're going to finish with what I call uh, details uh, of life, Q&A. Just five or six quick questions, just shooting them off to you. Michael Jackson or Prince? King of Pop, Michael Jackson. Peanut butter and jelly or turkey sandwich? Peanut butter and jelly. If you had a chance to go, Paris or London? I've been to Paris, so I'll take London. All right. If you were starting a team in the NBA, who would you take to start with as your cornerstone? Kobe Bryant or Tim Duncan? Man, that's tough. Guards win at the end of the day, so I got to go Kobe, even though I'm a huge fan of Tim Duncan's. Okay, and who is your top five, not in any order, who's Ooh. your top five players in NBA history? Hmm. Michael Jordan's the GOAT to me. Okay. And then LeBron. I mean, LeBron okay. is phenomenal. I know people, when they debate LeBron and MJ, I'm they can't have so a middle ground right there. Yeah, I'm with you so far. Yeah. Kareem. Yep. I got to go Kareem. I got to go Magic. Yep, uh, me Magic too. was one of my favorite. This fifth spot. I got... Man, I'm just going to go because I love winners. I'm going Bill Russell because he's the ultimate winner that's ever played. Yeah, I hear you, man. So that's... Guys, we are... Spot on, except I got Bill Russell six and I got Wilt Chamberlain five. That was my debate right That's there, about too. It. So anyway, man, thanks a lot for coming on. I appreciate you. Yep, appreciate man, you Thank you guys me. for listening. And, uh, man, good luck with the rest of your season. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Tim Kane for coming on. As you can see, he's a great guy, great coach, going to be a great head coach in the future. And so good luck to him for the rest of his career. And good luck to the Murray State Racers. Right now tied at first place on the top of the OVC. Got a really good chance to go to the tournament. Got to finish the season strong. But I think they got a really good chance of going to the NCAA tournament. You know, when my team isn't balling or like Evansville struggling a little bit right now, you know, I really root even harder for my friends and hope they do well. So shout out to Tim. Shout out to Murray State. Hope you guys get to the tournament and make some noise in there. Um, but right now we're going to close up. And like always, I try to close with a little bit of commentary. And uh, first thing I want to kind of talk about is, you know, I realize this being in the podcast thing, it's like I'm now in the media. And when you're in the media, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. You got to take public opinion. And, uh, you know, I see people that post stuff on Facebook about their relationship and then someone responds and puts a comment they don't like. And they're like, mind your own business. Well, you put it out there. So it's now everybody's business. So when I put my opinions out there, I realize that people have the right to comment. And, uh, you know, recently... I wouldn't say I took any heat, but I took some negative comments from some people about m my commentary on uh, Walt McCarty, and I can take it. I got thick skin. I understand that. That comes with it. 
Um, but the reason I bring that up is because the main thing I want to talk about is emotional intelligence. I've been studying emotional intelligence for about the last seven or eight years now because I realized that I wasn't emotionally intelligent. Right? And what does emotional intelligence mean? It's, like, it's, it's a lot of meanings, but essentially for me is how do you respond when put in a situation where your emotions are involved? Right. You know, I know I used to respond very negatively and I know people, you know, we all tend to focus on about three things of our life, physical, mental, spiritual, but not many people focus on their emotional side of their life. So I know people who are in great shape. They run, you know, they they got two or three degrees, uh, they go to school and get further, you know, more degrees and more education. They go to church, you know, maybe a Christian or whatever. And then let somebody call them out of their name, call them the N word or call them whatever. And they will throw it all away because they are emotionally unintelligent. They can't control their emotions in the moment, you know, and so that's dangerous. You know, and I, I used to be like that. I used to, I made some very bad decisions because I wasn't emotionally equipped to handle the situation. And so uh, the reason I bring that up and how I correlate that to about the negative comments that I took is because. You know, people, you know, I, people that I know actually was negatively commenting, uh, this dude's a clown, whatever. Okay, you know, whatever. It is what it is. But at, at one point, I felt somebody crossed the line and they suggested that I was like an Uncle Tom. And that's just, I, I got emotionally hijacked. I, I went to a place mentally that I haven't been in a while. Now, I didn't act out on anything, but I went to a place mentally. I was emotionally hijacked. I was thinking of doing negative things, very bad things. Um, and I just realized I woke up the next day like, man, that's the first time I've let somebody get me like that in years. And so it was a humbling moment for me. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because a lot of times, you know, on social media and on the media, you hear all the good. You know, I might post it uh, something about winning an award or you see me on ESPN color commentating or some of these other things that are just sound really nice. But then you don't see the bad. You don't see the struggles. And this was a moment of weakness for me. This is a moment of failure for me. So I'm just trying to be transparent with you guys because all of us have struggles. All of us have areas where we need to get better. And I thought that I was pretty strong in this area. And then, man, I had a relapse. And so I just want to encourage you guys to continue to work on your emotional intelligence. Like I said, physical is good. Get in shape. Read. Improve your mental. Go to church or go to a synagogue or wherever you might go and work on the spiritual side of your life. But don't forget the emotional side of your life because you're going to get put in a situation where somebody's going to challenge you emotionally. You know, I, the reason I responded so negatively mentally is because some of you guys know, but I, I work at a YMCA that's in the middle of the most dangerous area, maybe in the country. So St. Louis is the murder capital of the world uh, of the United States. I'm sorry. Um, has more murders per capita than any city in the United States. And my YMCA is right in the middle of that. People get killed daily nearby. Right. And. Um, soft people don't make it there. Soft people don't make it there. And so for someone to suggest something like that, like I don't, like I don't uh, really value my people and that I'm not out there working hard for my people really just struck a chord with me the wrong way. And, and I, I should have been able to take that and just say, man, I don't even know that dude. He doesn't know me and let it go. But for some reason it got me in a negative place. And so, uh, I know I've seen friends do that and I'm like, man, don't let them get you upset. It's just a word. It's just a comment. Uh, and there I was having a moment of weakness and a moment of failure. And so I just want to encourage you guys, if you haven't heard about emotional intelligence, go do your research. EQ, emotional intelligence. It's going to save your life one day. It can save you from saying something really stupid, really hurtful, doing something really bad. Because you got to be able to control your emotions when you're put in a bad situation. When someone uh, uh, challenges 
something about you that makes you feel angry, right? I think if we were more emotionally intelligent as a society, we would be able to have better conversations around race, around politics, and all these sensitive subjects that people don't want to talk about. And the reason they don't want to talk about it is because they can't keep their emotions at a level plane and still get their point across. They start getting defensive. They start getting uh, bitter and, and starting attacking. And so that's where emotional intelligence can help us get through things as a society and make you a better person. And I'm going to keep working on mine. And uh, hopefully, you know, I think that's one of the things that helps me try to be a leader in my community. And I'm also, uh, you know, I lead some diversity efforts here in the city and, and with the Y. And so, you know, obviously when you're doing that type of work, you're going to hear things you don't want to hear. And so, but I'm, I'm, I'm able to keep my cool and, and still be able to express things in a, in a, in a, in a, in a good manner, you know. So uh, just work on your emotional intelligence. I wanted to share that with you guys. And the last thing I want to talk about is, you know, I just got back from a benign mitzvah. It's, uh, you know, you, you may have heard of a, ba a bat mitzvah, a bar mitzvah. A benign mitzvah is when a boy and a girl do it together. And, uh, man, I just learned a lot from two 13-year-olds a day. And it's really just been an experience here living where I live. I live in a community with a lot of Jewish people. And it's just been eye-opening. When I first moved here, I used to call this place Happyville because everybody was so happy and would invite me places and be super nice. And I'm like, man, is this real? Are they being corny or whatever? But they, it, it's genuine. And the reason why is I, I do my research on religions. I don't just believe what everybody tells me uh, or anybody says. So I, I do my research on Judaism. I did my research on Buddhism. And, you know, uh, one of the things about Judaism that I really, really respect, and I see this, I see the people living in their lives, is they make an intentional they're very intentional about doing acts of kindness, about doing good deeds. And one of the things like in a bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah is when the kid turns to a man or, or woman at age 13, uh, they have to do like a service project uh, with acts of kindness. And the young man did a project where he made bags for the homeless and to give to the homeless. And he now keeps the bags in the car. So if they ever see someone homeless, he can give it out to them. Um, the young woman. Uh, decided that she wanted to volunteer at an animal shelter because she's passionate about animals. And she was supposed to stop her, her uh, project in de December, but really felt passionate about it and has continued doing it. And these are valuable lessons that 13-year-olds are doing, that they realize that it takes more than just saying their beliefs. Like, they actually have to do things. And I think that that's where some of us fail. I see too many Christians, not all, not all, by no means am I making a blanket statement, but I've seen people make mistakes and say, well, you know, God knows my heart. You know, I know that Jesus is the son of God and uh, therefore I'm going to heaven. Now, whether you believe that or not, that's fine, but it's not enough. You got to go out and you got to actually do good things, right? You got to actually have your actions follow up your words. You can't just rely on your faith and say, because I believe in this, I'm going to go to heaven. You know, I know that I know that's what the Bible says, but at the same time, you're probably disgracing your beliefs if you aren't doing the things that you say you believe in, right? And so that's what I really respect about uh, the Jewish religion and the people that I live around and I see daily. They're acts of kind, they're intentional. They don't just, you know, just say this is my belief. They actually go out and do good things. And whether you're doing it because it comes natural to you or because you feel like that's your religion calling you to do it, you need to be doing it. Because we all sit around here and say how the world is a crazy place right now and it's going crazy and this and that and the other. But are you going out there and doing good things? to help change that, to help show people what your beliefs are, right? And so I see people doing that. I encourage you to do that today because the world needs that. You know, I think that uh, I want to go out. It, it inspired me to go out and do something today 
that reflected my beliefs. Right. And I think that any good person steals good things from other people. I know like basketball teams, you might see a play that another coach draws up and like, oh, that's a good play. You're going to steal that play and implement it in your team. Right. Same thing with business leaders. They might see best practices from another organization and say, we need to implement that in our organization. Right. You see something good that's working, you implement it. Well, then why are we doing that with religion? Why are we seeing what other people are doing and, and apply it to ourselves? So for me, like, for example, uh, one thing I love about Christianity is the grace and forgiveness taught in Christianity, how Jesus met people where they were at and loved them anyway and gave them grace and forgiveness. One of the things I love about Buddhism is their oneness with the world and their uh, mindfulness of being present and, and being present and, and, and having a sense of peace, inner peace. Um, and I try to meditate and I try to apply that to my life. One of the things that I love about Judaism is their intentional acts of kindness. Don't just sit back and say this is what you believe. Is you actually go out and do it. And so I challenge you to go out and do something today. Go out and do something outside of your comfort zone. Give someone a compliment. Do a, a nice act of kindness. Do a good deed that would make someone feel good, that would make our world a better place. Because I'm seeing people do it. I just saw two 13-year-old kids do it. I learned, you know, we don't always learn from adults. You can learn from kids. I learned from, well, these kids are now men and they're men, men and women and, 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 and their religions. Uh, but, man, it was just really eye-opening. It was a great reminder. And so I wanted to share that with you to go out and do good things. Go out and do your research on things and make sure that you understand the good and bad of all these things and try to just take the good and make it apply it to yourself and be the best person that you can be, right? So with that said, I'm going to get ready to close up, but please continue to like and share, subscribe what you're hearing here. Got to get the word out. Got to keep letting people hear about what we're doing. We're still on all the podcast platforms. So if you're there, like it, share it on YouTube, subscribe, share it. You know, that's how we get the word out and that's how we're going to continue to grow. And we're going to keep bringing in new people. You know, I know I've had a lot of sports focused people, but we're going to start bringing in community activists, uh, bring in music groups, bring in all types of people because, you know, we want to continue to, I want to continue to show you the other side of life for people and what, what they did to make them successful and how they got to where they're at. And because, you know, like I always say, greatness is in the details, man. Thank you for tuning in. Come back and see us next week. Peace.